And we will commence our reading of this chapter from verse 1. Chapter 3 of the Gospel according to John and verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master, that is a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the, servant, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that the believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. And may the Lord bless the going forth of his word this evening. And the text for the preaching of the word of God this evening is taken from John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Let us briefly call upon the Lord in prayer together, please. Merciful and glorious, gracious God, we give thee thanks that we have heard thy word in our hearing. Lord, we are not worthy, but thou art gracious. And we thank thee, Lord, for these glorious truths, these gospel truths, this divine revelation of God to fallen sons and daughters of Adam. We thank Thee for it, and we pray that we may know Thy Spirit at work this evening to enable us to listen, to listen well, to listen believingly. Acknowledge, O Lord, that Thou must grant that gift, and so come, O Lord, with the gifts of Christ, that there be faith worked in the souls of many, that it be increased in the souls of many that we may have a fresh glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening maybe for the first time and that savingly maybe once again and we be restored from being backslidden oh Lord thy people may have a fresh glimpse of the Lord oh God and be humbled and be fed and receive grace unto grace. We pray, O Lord, for help to be given unto me for the utterance of the Word of God. Grant those gifts and help from above that it might be an evident display of the power of God and not the wisdom of man. To the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. What is, when we consider what the gospel is, what is the main driving force behind the gospel, the eternal gospel, the gospel that was planned within the Godhead from all eternity? And we may have many answers to that, personal answers, that we may know something of the forgiveness of sins, that uh, we may know something of, of heaven, uh, heaven being filled with the redeemed of the Lord, we may have many questions, many answers to, to that question, but ultimately the gospel is all about God's glory, the glory of God. And, and how is God's glory expressed in, in the gospel then? But it's seen in God's grace, His undeserved kindness and favor being extended to those that deserve nothing good from God's hands. The, the deserving... That, that which they deserve from God's hand is according to their works. And we know that the work of the sinner is unrighteous. It's under God's wrath. It's under God's damnation. So what we do deserve is damnation from God. But the gospel extends grace to undeserving sinners. And so that glory of God is seen in His grace extended. It's also seen in His rich and sweet love given to those undeserving sinners that He chooses to save. 
This is no, the gospel is no clinical saving of a rebellious people, putting them in their place, uh, uh, cleansing them of their sin, and then, and then just keeping them away. As the gospel is a, is a call to embrace Jesus Christ, as he's freely offered to us in the gospel, there is an embracing of God uh, towards his people, to bring them nigh unto him. So that sweet love of the Lord is also an aspect of the glory that he gets and is expressed in the gospel. And it is also seen, the glory, God's glory in the gospel, is seen in the giving of his only begotten Son. The giving of him to die a sacrificial and redeeming death. And, and so much more, and our brother as he preached upon Christ being the vine... He must admit, merely scratch the surface of, surface of the depths of the riches of Christ that are revealed in the gospel. We, who are saved by God's grace, will have an eternity, an eternity to begin to understand the glories of Christ and the grace of God and the love of God. And these are all to the glory of God. And therefore, in the gospel, we see these three things combined together in order to save the elect. So those three things I just mentioned, God's grace, God's love, and God's Son. And that's indeed what we, what we see when we read this text, this very famous gospel text, John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You might say to yourself, yes, I see God's love spoken of. I see God's Son spoken of. But where is this grace that you've just mentioned? This grace that you speak of? Well, it's all of grace. It is all of grace. God's love is graciously given. And His Son is graciously given. Mankind did not deserve that God's Son would become man and come to earth to be the Redeemer of His people. And all of this divine love and of God's Son and, and His grace at work is a saving grace. It's all there to save a people, an undeserving people, a people that would be called the body of Christ and so joined to the, the head, which is Christ, and that body which is also called a bride, a bride to be married to her groom, that is the Lord Jesus Christ you can't get more loving and more intimate fellowship than between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. And that's the very image, the very mystery of the gospel revealed to us in Ephesians also. But let us see with the Lord's gracious help this evening then something of this saving grace in the saving love of God. In the saving love of God. And as we open the verse... As we see the first words in this glorious verse, we see the Father's love. The Father's love. For God so loved the world. And we can understand this being God so loving the world, being the Father, because we have the distinguishing in this verse of the, of the Father and the Son. But the Father's love, what is this love? It is a divine love. It comes from the heart of the uh, eternal Father. It is a, a divine love. It's a, we can say much about the love of God. It is a rich love. It is an eternal love. And it is that love, that rich, eternal, divine love, that goes forth in the gospel, that goes forth through Christ, 
in Christ to the whatsoevers. And who deserves this love of God the Father? Who deserves this love? The Son. The Son. Only the Son deserves this love. The eternal Son of God deserves to be fully loved by the Father. And the Son loves his Father back again, fully, richly, intensely, and purely. And so it has been in the Godhead from all eternity. The love of the Father toward the Son, and the Son, He loveth the Father, and, uh, and the Holy Ghost, as some would say, is the very expression of that love that is, that is shared between Father and Son, He being the third person of the Trinity. But what we see here in this verse and in the Gospel truth is that this divine and rich and eternal love is going forth towards the undeserving, going towards sinners, going towards those who are corrupt and impure. So, unlike the eternal Son of God, and how can that therefore be? They don't deserve the love. Christ deserves the love. So how can the Father love a sinner? He cannot love a sinner except that sinner be found in Jesus Christ. And if that sinner is found in Jesus Christ, then the love that goes towards Christ goes towards that sinner. Christ is the worthy recipient of the Father's love, and you, unclean sinner, can be cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and be found in Jesus Christ and therefore be the recipient of the Father's love. You must come to Christ, therefore, If you would have this rich love of God, you must come to Him. You must enter into Christ as the Lord uses those words. You must love Christ. You must follow Christ. You must believe on Christ. John 16 and verse 27 says this. The Lord says this. For the Father Himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. There's so much more that could be said concerning this glorious love of the Father. But it is only found in Christ. So all that would believe a false gospel, all that would go after a false religion, all that would go after a false ideology that is not Christ, they have no love of the Father, they, they have nothing. Outside of Christ is nothing but wrath as we know from the ark of Noah. Within the ark is salvation, protection, and the love of God, but outside the ark is judgment and damnation. And it is John Owen, the the English uh, Puritan theologian, uh, speaking of, of the love of God and the love of the Father. And I've mentioned it from the pulpit before, but it is a wonderful, uh, um, a wonderful picture that we have that the love of God uh, enters in and goes, as it were, through, through Christ as a channel, as a channel to his people and fills Christ and fills his people and not one drop falls outside of Christ. Not one drop. It's all about Christ. The Father is, as it were, Christ-centered. The gospel is Christ-centered. The truth is Christ-centered. For God so loved. But then we see the world. What is this world that the Father loves? And there are many, many discussions, many, many answers to that question, what the world is. Well, it doesn't say 
for God so loved mankind. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that, but it doesn't say that. The Holy Ghost has used these words for a reason. It also doesn't say, for God so loved the elect, the elect, although we know that to be true. We know that is true. For God so loved the world, so some would say, well, well God's love does not go out to everybody, it goes out to the elect only. And that's very true, the saving love of God only goes out to the elect. But we're not, the word elect is not used here. Election as a doctrine is not mentioned, is not referred to in this text. We have the word, the whosoevers. So election, as I've said before, is God's business. Repentance and faith is your business. To hear and obey the gospel call that goes forth. But I'll leave these arguments to, uh, to others for another time, and I'll just let Calvin speak. John Calvin. If anyone knows about Calvinism, it should be John Calvin. And he speaks of a threefold love. When he speaks of this verse, he's commenting on something from Deuteronomy, but he says, It is true that St. John says generally that God loved the world. And why? For Jesus Christ offers himself generally to all men without exception to be their Redeemer. Thus we see three degrees of the love that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, in respect of the redemption that was purchased by Christ, that he gave himself unto death for us, became accursed to reconcile us to God his Father. That is the first degree of love. We could say the gospel works that he did, and that's, going, and that's being made known. That's the first degree of love which extends to all men inasmuch as Jesus Christ reaches out his arms to call and allure all men, great and small, and to win them to him. But there is a special love, secondly, to those to whom the gospel is preached, which is that God testifies unto them that he will make them partakers of the benefit that was purchased for them by the death and suffering of his Son. And for as much as we be of that number, that is those that come under the means of grace, therefore we are doubly bound already to our God. Here are two bounds which hold us, as it were, tightly tied to God. And the third degree, the third bond of love, which depends upon uh, God, which, show, uh, which depends upon the third love of God that shows us, which is that he not only causes the gospel to be preached unto us, but also makes us to feel the power thereof. So as we know him to be our Father and Saviour, not doubting but that our sins are forgiven us for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, who brings us the gift of the Holy Ghost, to reform us after his own image. So we have Calvin speaking of three aspects of gospel love that go forth. And it is that final degree, that final uh, bond of God's love which causes the sinner to believe in Christ and so be saved. And that final degree of God's love, that love that goes out, and there is that gospel call, but it becomes an inner, an internal, effectual call. Is that which saves a world of, whatsoever, of whosoever's. A world of whosoever's. For God so loved the world of whosoever's. That's the Father's love. But secondly, we see in this uh, glorious verse the gift of His Son. 
the gift of his Son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He gave him, and how, how, did, how did the Father give his Son? He gave him by making him one of us. He gave him in the incarnation. He gave the eternal and infinite and ever-blessed Son of God to take on human flesh, take a, a true body and a reasonable soul, and to become the perfect specimen of mankind, to become the holy, sinless, and unable to sin God-man. And so he gave him in the incarnation. And through the incarnation, he didn't just give him to be an example, to be a specimen of, of, of the second Adam, but also to be a savior. He was sent down to save. And to show us something of the love and the image of the Father. And God's love in the Savior is that saving love. Hence, he is the Savior. And he sent his Son into the world. What? And that's emphasized in verses 16 and 17. Is to save his people. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world, the world of whatsoever, whosoever, sorry, through him might be saved. So he gave him to be that specimen, that, 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 that example. Uh, this, is the, this, is, this is God in the flesh. He gave him to be a savior, but he also gave him, and most importantly, having been incarnated to become the redeemer, then the redeeming work is he's to become the sacrifice. That is how redemption has worked. That this, this, this perfect, holy God-man who is the Redeemer and the, the, the prophet of God, preaching the gospel in, in his years of ministry, is then to be sacrificed as the sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, sacrificing himself upon the cross. So those three, those three things then, given to us in taking on our humanity, given to us to become our Savior, and given unto death for our sake. Given given, given. That's his love. That is the divine love of the Father to his people whom he has loved with an everlasting love, although they be in time under his wrath until salvation. And that giving of his Son is not merely an expression of God's love. It is an active outworking of his love. So it's not some love and emotion that remains in the, in the eternal heart of God, but it's seen expressed, as we've said, in the incarnation and in the work of salvation. That love that goes forth then through, through the gospel, through, through giving of His Son, a love that goes forth and it is a life-giving love as it enters into the soul of the sinner and it causes them to come to life. It causes them to be justified, therefore to be forgiven. It causes them to be adopted by this Father and sanctified to bear the image of His Son. The Father desires to adopt children that all together would become a glorious bride without spot that He could then give to His Son. But how must his son suffer and be humiliated to bring the bride to life? There is no higher gift that the father could give 
in order to pay the price of your sin. There was no uh, lower gift. It must be God, and he must be man. He must be God to withstand the wrath of Almighty God against the wickedness and the darkness and the corruptedness of our sin. And he must be man to stand in our place. Christ is that which James says in 1 and James 1 and verse 17. But he writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The gospel is that good gift. Christ is that perfect gift, coming down from the Father of lights, illuminating a sin-darkened world, illuminating the sin-darkened hearts of many that he would draw unto Jesus Christ. God giving God, the Father giving His Son, His only begotten Son. God had and has but one only begotten Son. The greatest gift, the greatest gift that the Father could give to save a soul, to save indeed a a number of souls that no man can count, but sinner to save your soul. However young or old your soul is, how can you then refuse the greatest gift? How can you deny this expression of gospel love? How can you say no to the Father? I don't need and I do not want thy Son. Would that not make you ungrateful? Wouldn't that make you foolish? And I would suggest to you, it would make you more wicked than the devil. Are you so dead in trespasses and sins? The Father's love, the gift of His Son. But we see also in this verse the saving effect of faith in His Son. The saving effect of faith in His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Where God's saving love is, is seen in the giving of his Son, the receiving of his Son makes all the difference to the sinner's life. The Lord offers Christ in the Gospel And then we see the effect of it. As the Lord enables you to embrace Jesus Christ, as you receive him by faith, and what you receive, you receive Christ. You receive his saving work. You receive him as savior. You receive him as as bridegroom. You receive the Father's love. You receive the adoption as a child of God by the Father. You receive the Spirit of Christ. And I could go on and on and on the riches of Christ. And as I've mentioned already, you cannot have the love of God without having the Son of God. And therefore it says in the Scriptures, and we'll see it ourselves, that where you do not have the Son, as it says in the last verse here of John 3, um, of John chapter 3, therefore in verse 36, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There's no love of God towards him, but the wrath, the hate of God against a sinner outside of Jesus Christ. 
It is faith in Christ that answers God's love in the gospel. Faith acknowledges the love of God. It acknowledges the, the, the Savior sent by God. And it receives the Father's love in and through the Son. There is no love from Christ. There is no love of the Father through Christ except we embrace Jesus Christ. And it is this faith, this, this trusting in the saving work of Christ, trusting in the person of Christ that we've seen as the only begotten sent by the Father uh, to be this Jesus of Nazareth, to, to, to reveal himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that faith that binds us with the cords of love to both the Father and to the Son. This precious faith, trusting him. And it's not the faith itself that's necessarily important, although it is valuable. It's whom we trust. Whom do we put our trust in? In whom do we believe? And in a world of false religions, that's made very clear then. It won't do to, to, to believe in the teaching of some false prophet from the Middle East or some false ideologue uh, from Germany or whatever it might be. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must trust the promises of God in the gospel. You must trust the work of Jesus Christ. And this trusting, this mere act of believing, makes a difference of life and death to your soul. 1 John 5 and verse 12 says this, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So it's not only love that's only to be found in, 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 in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, but as our brother was preaching on this morning, life, life is only to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the author of life, the source of life, the sustainer of life, who sustaineth all things by the word of his power. But in the gospel, he's also the purchaser of new life. He's the purchaser of new life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. You might think, I'm not dead in trespasses and sins. Well, I'll say to you, do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, uh, do you believe on him? Do you know uh, your sins forgiven because you believe on his promises? And you say no, or not yet? Well, then I say to you, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. There are certain things in life that are very black and white, and life and death is one of them. You're either alive or you're dead. You may be on your deathbed, but you're still alive. It is a matter of life and death, is this gospel. And Christ is the source of new life. And because Jesus Christ lives forever, having conquered death by the resurrection, he conquered sin, he conquered the devil, he conquered all our enemies, if we are to be found in Jesus Christ, if we're trusting in him, then him be, he being the source, not of just of life, but of everlasting life, then that is granted to all those that trust in him. That new life in Christ will never cease when we are joined to him by faith. And the Bible says this about the glorified and ascended Christ in Hebrews 7 and verse 25 as it opens up the truth about his, his work for his people there in heaven now as he, as he, as he prays for them. 
But listen to what it says when it talks about him praying for them. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. There is an eternal intercession because he ever liveth. He has conquered death. Christ ever liveth, and if you believe in him, and you live for him, and you live for him, and you die in him, you will have an eternal reward. Eternal life of peace, of joy, of purity, of goodness, of happiness with the saints of God, and most especially with Christ Himself. The Father's love. The gift of his son. Thirdly, we've seen the saving effect of faith in his son. This is a wonderful gift. This is a, this is a living gift. This is an active gift. This is a saving gift that the Father has given. If you lay hold upon this gift, you will live. And then finally, we come to a most solemn aspect of this verse almost hidden away in, in the glistening, glistening truths of the gospel in verse 16, but it is there. The punishment for sin and unbelief. The punishment for sin and unbelief. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting Life, this is, there's a gospel warning here in our text, and it, and it is written, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And we think, well, isn't that the gospel promise? Yes, it is. But there's also the warning in there, which also means this, whosoever believeth not in him shall perish. Again, beloved, it is black and white. Black or white. Life or death. Whosoever believeth not in him shall perish. And that word perish means destruction. It's destruction. It's, it's everlasting destruction. As there is everlasting life for those that lay hold on Christ, there is everlasting destruction for all those that die in their sins, whether they've heard of Christ or not. And if they have heard of Christ, then they've rejected Christ and their damnation is much more the worse. Notice with me when we're considering this perishing, it's not a one-off destruction of the soul and body. It's not even a, a short term, however short that term might be, uh, of destruction for a, for a period of time and then finishes. It's not. It cannot be. Our God is a righteous God and it cannot be that unrepentant sinners who love their sin and hate God and have been cast into the eternal lake of fire and are still have their guilt upon them and the sin within them and still hate the Lord and are full of blasphemy and will continue to do so for eternity, why would God, who is righteous, suddenly cease to punish them? Because there is no payment for sin. There is no payment for sin in hell or in the eternal lake of fire. There is no payment. There is only punishment. And the punishment will continue. If God was to cease the punishment, but he hasn't dealt with the sin, he would be an unrighteous, false God, like the God of the Mohammedans. No, but God is righteous. He's so righteous that he nailed his son to the cross to pay for the sins of his people. 
But as everlasting life is offered to those that love the Lord by grace, there is everlasting destruction, everlasting death meted out to all that die outside of Christ, outside of the love of God, outside of salvation, outside of the sprinkling blood, outside of grace. And they die in their sin. As we considered once when we were examining the the, the flood of Noah and the time uh, when the Lord finally closed that door, and we compared that even to... um, Well, we could compare it now at least to the closing of, of, of gospel grace, the end of time. The Great Commission has run its course, and the Lord closes the door as it were. And now the wrath of God just pours upon the whole world. The millions, the billions that are outside of Christ will receive the full, destructive, eternal, destructive wrath of God. And there is no more love offered. The withdrawal of the offer of love is then removed. There is a denial of grace. Dying in your sin, you will receive no grace from God. No love and no grace. No saviour. The saviour will be in heaven with his people. And if you are not his people, you will be suffering in hell with the devil because you're his people. No love, no grace, but a perishing in God's everlasting wrath. Solemn truths, but God will, as it were, repay your hate, your disobedience, your sin. And if you've heard the gospel, your rejecting of his only begotten son with righteous hate and anger. The wrath of God are the very flames of the eternal lake of fire, a dark fire. Outer darkness is called. It's no, there's no brightness there. There's no light. There's literally no light. A dark burning fire, burning soul and body, and that body is made fit to receive the wrath of God forever and ever. Why would you reject the only begotten Son? Because there's no other good alternative. There's no other way. God having given His Son, that if you believe in Him, that you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life, and what a life it would be. What a Creator there is. And those that know the the work of God, we look at the creation, we see what the Lord can do in the beauties of creation, but we know what He can do in the soul of a sinner. And we know the, something of the love of God and the fellowship of God in our very soul, and, and that, that will be intensified. We cannot experience more holiness than we can because we have a flesh that is corrupt, that still has a sinful nature, and we know that it gets in the way, that it pulls us down, that, if, that it makes us do things that we would not do, but we still do them, as Paul mentions in Romans 7. And yet that will be one, one day that will be removed that will be resurrected, that will be holy. And so with a holy body and soul, having all eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. No bad thoughts, no insecurities, no wounds, no healing, no, no glasses, I presume. But per- perfection and perfect love and perfect fellowship. Seeing the Lord Jesus Christ with resurrected eyes. Looking upon Him that loved you and loves you with an everlasting love and loved his people so much that he gave himself for them. Imagine that. 
to look upon him, to look upon Christ, or to suffer in everlasting darkness. So it is, that is what we see in the gospel, so much of, of, these, of these great contrasts. Great contrasts. And as we come to close our message this evening, we see we have seen great contrasts between love and wrath, between life and death, between belief and unbelief, and therefore forgiveness and unforgiveness. And as I've just mentioned, eternal bliss or eternal destruction. But it is the one person that makes all the difference, that makes that, that contrast, that, that separates those contrasts of love and wrath, etc., and, and, and turns things around, that, that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that turns the wrath of God upon you into the love of God. He, he turns the, your, your death in your sins, he turns it into life everlasting. He turns your unbelief into belief, the unforgiveness into forgiveness and absolute um, peace with God and turns your coming eternal destruction into eternal bliss. And it is that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have this Lord Jesus Christ. You must embrace him. So once again I ask... Have you and do you believe on this divine gift? Do you have him? How do you get him, you might say? Well, the Lord shows us the way unto salvation is to approach him. Is to approach God in prayer and seeking the forgiveness of all your sins in and through the gift. For that is what the gift is there for, not to establish a, a religion and, a, and rules, although there is religion, true religion, and there are true rules of holiness, but to establish salvation. And that salvation is only to be seen in Him and expressed in the only begotten Son. Have you got the only begotten Son? Have you called upon the Lord for the only begotten Son? For the way of doing it is repentance and faith. What has caused God's wrath to come upon you? Sin, then repent of it. What is the only way of salvation? It is the only begotten Son of God, and believe on Him. And leave God to do the rest. Instead of trying to double-guess God and think, am I the elect or not? Instead of trying to double-guess God, have I repented enough? Instead of trying to double-guess God, but I know that faith needs to be worked in my heart uh, by the Holy Ghost. And yet the Lord in his preaching of the gospel and the apostles, when they preached the gospel, they never confused the gospel with adding all these extra doctrines which are all true and glorious. The responsibility of man, woman, boy and girl to repent and believe. To take hold of this gift that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you would have peace with God, if you would have that life everlasting, if you would have your sins forgiven, then you must come to the Son. Life is only found in the Son. Else you remain dead in your trespasses and in your sins. 1 John 5 verses 10 to 12 tell us this. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him, that is God, to be a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, 
and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no life. You have physical life, but no spiritual life and no eternal life. God's wrath is still upon you. Remember then the truths that we've read in this verse 16 tonight. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's everyone who hears the gospel call, that whosoever, and this is what you must do, whosoever, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. May God bless his word to your eternal salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Our merciful and loving God, we give thee thanks in the name of thy Son for these gospel truths, for this gospel message, this good news to sinners. O oh Lord, we do thank thee that this is all planned from eternity. There is nothing haphazard here. But Lord, as thy word has gone forth, and it has gone forth, and I trust, O oh God, that it was simple enough for the youngest to understand something, that they must have Jesus Christ, or they have nothing but death and destruction. That they must have Jesus Christ if they would live and have their sins forgiven them, that there would be peace between them and thee. Lord, will thou do that work which only thou canst do and open their hearts to believe. Pour out thy spirit, give grace, O Lord. Be merciful unto the sinners that they may believe on the only begotten Son of God and not perish but have everlasting life. O Lord, have mercy, we pray. Do thy glorious work to the glory of Christ and the gospel. For that is why he was sent. Not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might live. May it be so tonight, we pray thee. In the name of thy Son, the Saviour. The only Redeemer of God's elect. Amen.